0: Chapter 24 of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kurt Ziegler. To what delusion does thy soul abandon itself? Alas, Zanoni, the aspirer, the dark, bright one! Didst thou think that the new bond between the survivor of ages and the daughter of a day could endure? Didst thou not foresee that, until the ordeal was past, there could be no equality between thy wisdom and her love? thou art absent now seeking amidst thy solemn secrets the solemn safeguards for child and mother and forgettest thou that the phantom that served thee hath power over its gifts over the lives it taught thee to rescue from the grave dost thou not know that fear and distrust once sown in the heart of love springing up from the seed into a force that excludes the stars dark bright one the hateful eyes glare beside the mother and the child all that day viola was distracted by a thousand thoughts and terrors which fled as she examined them to settle back darklier she remembered that as she had once said to glyndon her very childhood had been haunted with strange forebodings that she was ordained for some preternatural doom she remembered that as she told him this sitting by the seas that slumbered in the arms of the bay of naples he too had acknowledged the same forebodings and a mysterious sympathy had appeared to unite their fates she remembered above all that comparing their entangled thoughts both had then said that with the first sight of zanoni the foreboding the instinct had spoken to their hearts more audibly than before whispering that with him was connected the secret of the unconjectured life and now, when Glendon and Viola met again, the haunting fears of childhood thus referred to, woke from their enchanted sleep. With Glendon's terror, she felt a sympathy against which her reason and her love struggled in vain. And still, when she turned her looks upon her child, it watched her with that steady, earnest eye, and its lips moved as if it sought to speak to her, but no sound came. The infant refused to sleep. Still those wakeful, watchful eyes and in their earnestness there spoke of something of pain of upbraiding of accusation they chilled her as she looked unable to endure of herself this sudden and complete revulsion of all the feelings which had hitherto made up her life she formed the resolution natural to her land and creed she sent for the priest who had habitually attended her at venice and to him she confessed with passionate sobs and intense terror the doubts that had broken upon her the good father a worthy and pious man but with little education and little sense one who held as many of the lower italians do to this day even a poet to be a sort of sorcerer seemed to shut the gates of hope upon her heart his remonstrances were urgent for his horror was unfeigned he joined with Glyndon in imploring her to fly if she felt the smallest doubt that her husband's pursuits were of the nature which the roman church had benevolently burned so many scholars for adopting and even a little of that viola could communicate seemed the ignorant ascetic irrefragable proof of sorcery and witchcraft he had indeed previously heard some of the strange rumours which followed the path of zanoni and was therefore prepared to believe the worst The worthy Bartolomeo would have made no bones of sending Watt to the stake, had he heard him speak of the steam-engine. But Viola, as untutored as himself, was terrified by his rough and vehement eloquence, terrified for by that penetration which Catholic priests, however dull, generally acquire in their vast experience of the human heart hourly exposed to their probe. Bartolomeo spoke less of the dangers to herself than to her child sorcerers he said have ever sought the most to decoy and seduce the souls of the young nay the infant and herewith he entered into a long catalogue of legendary fables which he quoted as historical facts all at which an englishwoman would have smiled appalled the tender but superstitious neapolitan and when the priest left her with solemn rebukes and grave accusations of dereliction of her duties to her child If she hesitated to fly with it from an abode polluted by the darker powers and unhallowed arts, Viola, still clinging to the image of Zanoni, sank into a passive lethargy which held her very reason in suspense. The hours passed, night came on, the house was hushed, and Viola, slowly awakened from the numbness and torpor which had usurped her faculties, tossed to and fro on her couch, restless and perturbed. The stillness came intolerable. Yet more intolerable the sound of that alone broke it, the voice of the clock, knelling moment after moment to its grave. The moments, at last, seemed themselves to find voice, to gain shape. She thought she beheld them springing, wan and fairy-like, from the womb of darkness, and ere they fell again, extinguished, into that womb, their grave, their small voices murmured, Woman, we report to eternity all that is done in time. What shall we report of thee, O guardian of a new-born soul?" She became sensible that her fancies had brought a sort of partial delirium, that she was in a state between sleeping and waking, when suddenly one thought became more predominant than the rest. The chamber which in that very house they had inhabited, even that in the Greek isles, Zanoni had set apart to a solitude on which none might intrude, the threshold of which even Viola's step was forbid to cross. And never, hitherto, in that sweet repose of confidence which belongs to contented love, had she even felt the curious desire to disobey. Now that chamber drew her towards it. Perhaps there might be found somewhat to solve the riddle, to dispel or confirm the doubt. That doubt grew and deepened in its intenseness. It fastened on her, as with a palpable and irresistible grasp. It seemed to raise her limbs without her will. And now, through the chamber. Along the galleries thou glidest, O lovely shape, sleepwalking, yet awake! The moon shines on thee, as thou glidest by, casement after casement, white-robed and wandering spirit, thine arms crossed upon thy bosom, thine eyes fixed open, with a calm, unfearing awe. Mother, it is thy child that leads thee on. The fairy moments go before thee. Thou hearest still the clock knell, tolling them to their graves behind on gliding on thou hast gained the door no lock bars thee no magic spell drives back thee daughter of the dust thou standest alone with the night in the chamber where pale and numberless the hosts of space have gathered round the seer she stood within the chamber and gazed around her no signs by which an inquisitor of old could have detected the scholar of the black art were visible no crucibles and caldrons. no brass bound volumes and ciphered girdles no skulls and no crossbones quietly streamed the broad moonlight through the desolate chamber with its bare white walls a few bunches of withered herbs a few antique vessels of bronze placed carelessly on a wooden form were all which that curious gage could identify with the pursuits of the absent owner the magic if it existed dwelt with the artificer and the materials to other hands were but herbs and bronze so it is ever with thy works and wonders o genius seeker of the stars words themselves are the common property of all men yet from words themselves thou architect of immortalities pilest up temples that shall outlive the pyramids and the very leaf of the papyrus becomes the shiner stately with towers around which the deluge of ages roar in vain but in that solitude has the presence that there had invoked its wonders left no enchantment of its own It seemed so, for as Viola stood in the chamber, she became sensible that some mysterious change was at work within herself. Her blood coursed rapidly, and with a sensation of delight, through her veins. She felt as if chains were falling from her limbs, as if a cloud after cloud was rolling from her gaze. All the confused thoughts which had moved through her trance-settled and centered themselves in one intense desire to see the absent one, to be with him. The monads that make up space and air seemed charged with a spiritual attraction, to become a medium through which her spirit could pass from its clay, and confirm with the spirit to which the unutterable desire compelled it. A faintness seized her. She tottered to the seat on which the vessels and herbs were placed, and, as she bent down, she saw one of the vessels a small crystal vase. By a mechanical and involuntary impulse, her hand seized the vase. She opened it and the volatile essence it contained sparkled up and spread through the room a powerful and delicious fragrance she inhaled the odor she laved her temples with the liquid and suddenly her life seemed to spring up from the previous faintness to spring to soar to float to dilate upon the wings of a bird the room vanished from her eyes away away over lands and seas and space on the rushing desire flies the imprisoned mind upon a stratum not of this world stood the world-born shapes of the sons of science upon an embryo world upon a crude wan attenuated mass of matter one of the nebulae, which is the sums of the myriad systems thrown off as they roll around the creator's throne to become themselves new worlds of symmetry and glory planets and suns that for ever and forever ever shall in their turn multiply their shining race and be the fathers of suns and planets yet to come there in that enormous solitude of an infant world which thousands and thousands of years can alone ripen into form, the spirit of Viola beheld the shape of Zanoni, or rather the likeness, the simulacrum, the lemur of his shape, not its human and corporeal substance. As if, like hers, the intelligence was parted from the clay, and as the sun, while it revolves and glows, had cast off into remotest space that nebular image of itself. So the thing of Earth, in the action of its more luminous and enduring being had thrown its likeness into that new-born stranger of the heavens there stood the phantom a phantom mejnour by its side in the gigantic chaos around raved and struggled the kindling elements water fire darkness and light at war vapor and cloud hardening into mountains and the breath of life moving like a steadfast splendor over all as the dreamer looked and shivered she beheld that even there the two phantoms of humanity were not alone, dim monster forms that had discorded chaos alone could engender. The first reptile colossal race that wreathe and crawl through the earliest stratum of a world laboring into life, coiled in the oozing matter, or hovered through the meteorous vapors. But these the two seekers seemed not to heed. Their gaze was fixed intent upon an object in the farthest space with the eyes of the spirit viola followed theirs with a terror far greater than the chaos and its hideous inhabitants produced she beheld a shadowy likeness of the very room in which her form yet dwelt its white walls the moonshine sleeping on its floor its open casement with the quiet roofs and domes of venice looming over sea that sighted below and in that room the ghost-like image of herself this double phantom here herself a phantom gazing there upon a phantom self had in it a horror which no words can tell no length of life forego but presently she saw this image of herself rise slowly leave the room with its noiseless feet it passes the corridor it kneels by the cradle heaven of heaven she beholds her child still with its wondrous childlike beauty and its silent wakeful eyes but beside that cradle there sits a cowering a mantled shadowy form the more fearful and ghastly from its indistinct and unsubstantial gloom the walls of the chamber seem to open as the scene of a theatre a grim dungeon streets through which pour shadowy crowds wrath and hatred and the aspect of demons in their ghostly visages a place of death murderous instrument a shamble house of human flesh herself her child all all rapid phantasmagoria, chased after each other suddenly the phantom zanoni returned it seemed to perceive herself her second self it sprang towards her her spirit could bear no more she shrieked she awoke she found that in truth she had left that dismal chamber the cradle was before her the child all all as that trance had seen it and vanishing into the air even that dark formless thing my child my child thy mother shall save thee yet letter from viola to zanoni it has come to this i am the first to part i the unfaithful one bid thee farewell for ever when thine eyes fall upon this writing thou wilt note me as one of the dead for thou that wert and still art my life i am lost to thee o lover o husband o still worship and adored if thou hast ever loved me if thou canst still pity seek not to discover the steps that flee thee if thy charms can detect and track me spare me spare our child zanoni i will rear it to love thee to call thee father zanoni its young lips shall pray for thee ah spare thy child for infants are the saints of earth and their meditation may be heard on high shall i tell thee why i part no thou the wise terrible canst divine what the hand trembles to record and while i shudder at thy power while it is thy power i fly it comforts me to still think that thy power can read the heart thou knowest that it is the faithful mother that writes to thee it is not the faithless wife is there sin in thy knowledge zanoni sin must have sorrow and it were sweet oh how sweet to be thy comforter but the child the infant the soul that looks to mine for its shield magician i wrest from thee that soul pardon pardon if my words wrong thee see i fall on my knees to write the rest why did i never recoil from thy mysterious lore why did the very strangeness of thine unearthly life only fascinate me with a delightful fear because if thou wert sorcerer or angel demon there was no peril to other than but myself and none to me for my love was my heavenliest part and my ignorance of all things except thou art to love thee repelled every thought that was not bright and glorious as thine image to my eyes but now there is another look why does it watch me thus why that never sleeping earnest rebuking gaze have thy spells encompassed it already hast thou marked it, cruel one for the terrors of thy unutterable art do not madden me unbind the spell hark the oars come without they come they come to bear me from thee i look round and methinks i see thee everywhere thou speakest to me from every shadow from every star there by the casement thy lips press mine there there by that threshold didst thou not turn again and thy smile seem so trustingly to confide in me zanoni husband i will stay i cannot part from thee no no i will go to the room where thy dear voice with its gentle music assuaged the pangs of travail where heard through the thrilling darkness it first whispered to my ear viola thou art a mother a mother yes i rise from my knees i am a mother i come i am firm farewell yes thus suddenly thus cruelly whether in the delirium of blind and unreasoning superstition or in the resolve that conviction which springs from duty the being for whom he had resigned so much of empire and glory forsook zanoni this desertion never foreseen never anticipated was yet but the constant fate that attends those who place mind beyond the earth and yet treasure the heart within ignorance everlasting shall recoil from knowledge but never yet from nobler and purer motives than self-sacrifice did human love sink itself to another then did the forsaking wife now abandon the absent for rightly had she said that it was not the faithless wife it was the faithful mother that fled from all in which her earthly happiness was centred As long as the passion and fervor that impelled the act animated her with false fever, she clasped her infant to her breast, and was consoled, resigned. But what bitter doubt of her own conduct, what icy pang of remorse shot through her heart, when, as they rested for a few hours on the road to Leghorn, she heard the woman who accompanied herself, and Glyndon pray for the safety to reach her husband's side, and the strength to share the perils that would meet her there. Terrible contrast to her own desertion mejnour behold thy work out out upon little vanities of wisdom out upon our ages of lore and life to save her from peril i lift her presence and the peril has seized her in its grasp chide not thy wisdom but thy passions abandon thine idle hope of the love of woman see for those who would thine unite the lofty with the lowly the inevitable curse thy very nature uncomprehended thy sacrifices unguessed the lowly one views but only in the lofty a necromancer or a fiend titan canst thou weep i know it now i see it all it was her spirit that stood beside our own and escaped my airy grasp o strong desire of motherhood and nature unveiling all our secrets piercing space and traversing worlds mejnour what awful learning lies hid in the ignorance of the heart that loves the heart answered the mystic coldly aye for five thousand years i have ransacked the mysteries of creation but i have not yet discovered all the wonders in the heart of the simplest boar. yet our solemn rites deceived us not the prophet shadows dark with terror and red with blood still foretold that even in the dungeon and before the deathsman, i had the power to save them both but at some unconjectured and most fatal sacrifice to myself to myself icy sage there is no self in love I go, nay, alone. I want thee not. I want now no other guide but the human instincts of affection, no cave so dark, no solitude so vast as to conceal her. Though mine art fail me, though the stars heed me not, though space with its shining myriads is again to me but the azure void, I return to love and youth and hope when they have ever failed to triumph and to save. End of chapter twenty four. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah. Voiceover solutionscom dot com.